3. We'll read the chapter from beginning to end. رسالة أفسوس إصحاح ثلاثة وابتداء من العدد واحد إلى نهاية الإصحاح. إلى نهاية الإصحاح. Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesus إصحاح ثلاثة. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me toward you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote before in few words, by which when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he has purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, for this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might in his spirit by the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of God, which passes knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Our reading was from Ephesians chapter 3, and in Ephesians chapter 3, there is mention of the word uh, mystery. Look at verse uh, 3, how that by revelation he made uh, known unto me the mystery. Uh, And in verse 4, by which when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, what is a uh, mystery? Actually, verse 5 gives us a good idea of what a mystery is in the Bible, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Something that in other ages, that is in previous times, that is, in the times of the Old Testament, was not made known as it is now made known. Now, I don't think we should take that statement absolutely and say it's something that they didn't know at all. Rather, something that was not made known then as much 
as clearly, as explicitly as it is made known uh, now. Now, what particular mystery is he speaking of uh, at the beginning of Ephesians chapter uh, 3? He goes on to say in verse 6 that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That there would be Gentile believers alongside Jewish believers in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, side by side, fellow heirs, brothers in Christ. This was not declared very clearly and very explicitly in old times, not as clearly, not as explicitly, as in the times of the New Testament. What are some things that are mentioned in the Bible as mysteries? The period between the first coming of Christ and the second coming, and therefore the existence of the church, and God's purpose to use the church during the current age, sometimes called the age of uh, the church. The mystery of the blindness of the people of Israel regarding the gospel. Not that in this time none of them are saved, but as a group, mostly, they do not see or know the truth at uh, this uh, time. The mystery of the depth and greatness of the love of God, that the church is made the bride of Christ, Ephesians chapter 5. Colossians chapter 1, the mystery of the indwelling of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of uh, glory. The mystery of increasing iniquity in this world, the mystery of lawlessness, which will lead ultimately to the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2. And the mystery of the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but uh, we shall all be uh, changed. So, a mystery is mentioned at the beginning of uh, the chapter, but also in verses 8 through 10. I believe the reference could well be to the same mystery. Let's read verses 8 through 10. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mysteries, my preaching among the Gentiles, and the fact that Gentiles and Jews who have received the Lord Jesus Christ can be in fellowship, to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. The Lord wants to make known to make manifest by the church the manifold wisdom of uh, God. Of course, uh, in uh, verse 8, we have mention of the uh, unsearchable riches of Christ and the preaching of uh, the gospel among uh, the Gentiles. 
And so we understand uh, that the manifold wisdom of God is seen in the person of Christ and in the gospel uh, of the Lord Jesus uh, Christ. It is revealed, this manifold wisdom, uh, to principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now, if it's revealed to principalities and powers in heavenly places, then it is revealed to us as well, because this message of the gospel is declared openly. This is not something heard in heaven only and not upon the earth. God's multifaceted wisdom, uh, uh, multifaceted wisdom, his wisdom in its rich variety uh, is seen in his dealings with his children, in his redemption, in his salvation. In this salvation, there is a divine wisdom that exceeds the wisdom of the angels. And I'd like to speak about the manifold wisdom of God in salvation. In salvation. God's wisdom appears, we might first say, in the choice of the person who would act. The choice of the person who would be our Savior. You know how sometimes there's a will, and there's a person who is appointed as the one who executes the will, the one who makes it happen. Uh, the Son the second person of the Godhead, chosen by God, called the elect of God, Isaiah 42 and verse 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect, uh, my uh, elect. Uh, Isaiah chapter 19 and verse 20 says that he will send them a savior and a great one, and a, a great one. God in his wisdom knew and understood that the savior must be divine, that the work of salvation is too great for any creature, for any created being to accomplish it, that we could not be saved by Gabriel or by Michael or by any of the angels uh, working uh, together. The Savior must be holy, must be completely holy. The Bible says he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter chapter 3 says he suffered the just for the unjust. The one who takes the place of sinners cannot be a sinner himself. He must be innocent, not under his own condemnation. In this the Lord Jesus differed, and the book of Hebrews points this out. He differed from the high priests of uh, the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that the high priest needed to offer sacrifices for himself first, and then for the people. But the same chapter, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, tells us that we have a high priest who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from uh, sinners. Now who is undefiled and separate from sin? Do we not think of God in this regard and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is God. Who could complete a work so great as the work of salvation? Isaiah 42 and verse 4, again, speaking prophetically of the servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, says, 
that he will not fail or be discouraged. He will not fail or be uh, uh, discouraged. Someone else would have fainted. Someone else would have been discouraged. Someone else would not have had the power. And we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the cross, that the shadow of the cross was so heavy and that the burden was difficult to bear. But the Lord Jesus bore it. The Lord Jesus bore it. Who else would have had this, uh, this uh, power? Uh, someone else, as I said, might have said, might have said, I quit. I've decided that's enough. But the Lord Jesus said, how is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I should be about, that I must be about my father's business? My work is to, to, to do the will of him that sent me, my meat, excuse me, to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. I have finished, I have glorified you on the earth. I finished the work which you gave me to do. And on the cross, after he had suffered untold agonies, the Lord Jesus, when he had received the vinegar, said, it is finished. I have finished this work. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 20, quoting uh, the book of Isaiah, a bruised reed will he not break, the smoking flax shall he not quench, until he sends forth judgment unto victory. Here's another translation, until he brings justice to victory. Until that which is right and true and just prevails, he will not rest. He will not uh, uh, rest until he finishes his work. A great work requires great power. Someone else would have been exhausted, wouldn't have reached the, the uh, finish line, wouldn't have finished that work. Who could merit such great blessings? which he would then pass on to us in his grace, uh, in his grace. Only a person of the greatest dignity, of the greatest character, of the greatest worth. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He has blessed us in Christ. And we could go on in Ephesians chapter 1 and see the blessings which we have received uh, in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God uh, uh, of him are ye in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30, who of God is made unto us, Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You are in Christ Jesus, and God has made Christ to be unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and uh, redemption. Who could bring us such spiritual blessings? You do not receive clean water from a dirty pipe from a dirty uh, pipe. Uh, also, who could bring to us such spiritual blessings? Who has the capacity to do so? 
Who has the capacity to do so? We might have, for instance, a lot of disease in this country, and someone might say, I'm going to send you my hospital ship. All right? And when the hospital ship shows up, we find out it's only the size of this wall to this wall. <laughs> uh, that's not much. And then some huge hospital ship shows up, <laughs> laden with all that we need in the way of medicine and beds and, and nurses and doctors, blessings uh, at a heavyweight level and super heavyweight uh, and super heavyweight. By whom could we become the objects of God's love rather than the objects of God's wrath? Romans chapter 9 and verse 25, as it says also in uh, Hosea, I will call them my people who were not my people, and I will call her beloved who was not beloved. Why are we beloved? Because there is a great beloved. Because there is a great beloved. My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Isaac loved Esau. And what did Jacob do? He appeared before Isaac. He appeared before Isaac as if he was Esau. Now that involved deception on the part of Jacob and weakness on the part of Isaac. But here we speak of something that, it is, that is God's plan. How is it that we become beloved by appearing before him as if we are his son? by appearing before him in Christ to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. To be a savior, the work of Christ would need to be willingly done. A great work is not generally considered, uh, 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 let me put it another way, a work of coercion, a work of forcing something to do, uh, forcing someone to do something, is not usually considered a great work. The Lord Jesus gave himself willingly. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for uh, my uh, sheep. Uh, for my uh, sheep. Philippians chapter two and verse seven tells us he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. It came to pass, Luke chapter 9 and verse 51, when his time was come that he should be received, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And it says prophetically in the Old Testament, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. It was, yes, the will of the Father. But what does the Son say? The Son says, I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Who else would delight to do the Father's will in this way? Could the Father himself come and serve as Savior? The Father, when we think of him, we think of him to some extent as the judge, as the one offended as the one whose justice requires satisfaction. Could the Holy Spirit come as Savior? The Holy Spirit would dwell in the believer, 
in us and with us, interceding for us with groanings which cannot be uttered when we do not know how to pray as we should. And perhaps this might make the Holy Spirit appear to be, so to speak, on our side. The Son uh, is uh, the one uh, who better to serve as a savior. Would principalities and powers have thought of the Son as the executor, as the one who would accomplish uh, salvation, as the one who would take on this uh, task? Angels are great in wisdom, but perhaps they did not know that the Son would be uh, the Savior, because it is not in the wisdom of men to think this way, nor in the wisdom of angels. It is the manifold wisdom of God. The Son should be the one to accomplish salvation. How would he accomplish it? The wisdom of God said, by becoming a substitute. By becoming the substitute. One brother fell into crime. One day he killed a man, it is said. He came home. And his clothes were covered with blood. The police were on his trail, and perhaps they would come soon. He threw off the bloody clothes. And as he was getting new clothes, the story goes, his older brother, who loved him, put on the bloody clothes. The police came. They saw the older brother wearing the bloody clothes. And they took him, and he died in the place of his younger brother. The Savior must take the place of sinners, and to that end he must be like them. And the Bible speaks of this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and verse 17. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 17 of Hebrews 2, it, In all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. There's an old song in a certain tradition that says, O great mystery, that animals should see their newborn Lord lying in a manger. O oh, great mystery, that animals should see their newborn Lord lying in a manger. Who would think that the ancient of days, that the ancient of days uh, could be conceived in a womb? Who could think that he, had a, that he would have a birthday as if he had a beginning? when he is from eternity to uh, eternity. Who would think that a human nature could be joined to a divine nature? Who would think that God, who fills heaven and earth, could be found in a certain sense, in a particular place, and in a particular uh, manner? Think of the circumstances of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He should appear in this world to be like unto us so that he can save us. Then he should appear in a magnificent manner with honor, with authority, with power, with majesty above 
that of the kings of the earth. He should reign in pomp and circumstance and splendor. This is how people think. But the manifold wisdom of God says, Isaiah 53 and verse 2, He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 42 and verse 2, He will not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be, to be heard in the streets. He will not draw his attention, attention to himself. He will not have this desire that the spotlight shines uh, upon him. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of, of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes unto thee, just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, riding upon uh, a donkey. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed, esteemed him not. What might man uh, think? Well, we know what man thinks. We know what man values. What man values, but God values other things. Don't look at his countenance, Samuel. Don't look at the height of his stature. I've already refused him, because I don't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. A uh, popular song in Wales, uh, which has, I think, uh, a song which has a biblical foundation, biblical roots from some time ago, says the following... I seek not life's ease and pleasures, earthly riches, pearls nor gold. Give to me a heart made happy, clean and honest, sweet and bold. If I cherish earthly treasures, swift they flee, and all is vain. A clean heart, enriched, enriched with virtues, brings to me eternal gain. Morn and evening, my petition wings its flight to heaven and song. In the name of my Redeemer, make my heart clean pure, and strong. Why do people think this way? Is this the way they naturally think? Or is this what they have learned and seen in the person of Christ? By his coming, he taught us that outward things, that people prize, riches and position, are not valuable as men think. He did not come according to the wisdom of men, but according to the manifold wisdom the wisdom of uh, God. By coming as a man, he kept the law. He kept the law. The law in all its commandments, even in ways that we wouldn't expect. He obeyed his parents. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 51 that he uh, was subject unto them. He paid the temple tax. Peter, does your master pay the tax? And the Lord Jesus said, I'm exempt. I'm the one who should receive it. But nevertheless, let's pay it. He kept the ceremonial law. He was circumcised. The Bible tells us that in his keeping of the law, he honored it. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. His perfect obedience would stand in the place of our rebellion and disobedience. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. 
And this would, and I believe does, make him nearer and dearer uh, to us. The story is told, I read it once a long time ago, of a missionary to India who decided that he would go barefoot as the people of India mostly did, those among whom he worked and served. And he walked a considerable distance as the people of India did. And since he was not accustomed to this, the soles of his feet became bruised and bloodied. He slept under a tree. While he was asleep, the people noticed this is a white man wearing our clothes and walking barefoot like us. And look at his feet bleeding. They gathered around him as a crowd. He woke up. And when he woke up, he preached the message to them, and they listened more than before. The Lord Jesus came to us in this manner so that the common people, as it says, would hear him gladly, so that the sinners and the publicans would draw near unto him, so that the officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees would say, When they were asked, why have you not brought him? They would say, never man spoke like this man. The manifold wisdom of God is seen in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the judge of all, who would think that he would accept to be judged and to be judged in such a wicked and unjust manner? The one praised by angels, who would think that he would accept to be spit upon and mocked by man? Who would think that the one who created all life would be put to death by dying man? Who would think that the one who opens his hands to feed all creatures would open his hand to receive the nails? Who would think that the one who was always with the Father and the Spirit would be left alone? Who would think that the one who made light would be covered with darkness? Who would think that the one who holds the oceans in his hands would say, I thirst? Who would think that the one to whom the earth belongs would be buried in a borrowed tomb? Who would think that three days later that tomb would be empty. Not you, not me, nor angels, the manifold wisdom of God. Angels played a role in these things. The angel came from heaven, rolled the stone away. The angel said, he is not here, for he is risen. And at one point, one sat where the head of the Lord Jesus was, and another sat where the feet were like the golden angels on the mercy seat where the blood was poured out. Where the blood was poured out. The manifold wisdom of God included the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. The manifold wisdom of God includes the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has highly exalted him. Philippians 2, given him a name which is above uh, uh, every uh, name. The one who purchased salvation with his blood would be the judge of the world. So that those who came to him and to his cross, believing, 
would come to him in heavenly places as well, as he sits upon his throne and says in the book of Revelation, you will sit with me in my throne. He is exalted so that those who rejected him when he was lifted up upon the cross here upon the earth would be rejected by him as he is lifted up upon the throne in heaven. Uh, in heaven. It is part of the manifold wisdom of God uh, that his character, uh, his attributes be revealed unto men uh, through the work of salvation. What is the greatest work that can be done? The most powerful work of all. It is not creation. It is the salvation. The salvation of men. Who is this who comes from Edom? Isaiah 63 and verse 1. Mighty to, sa to save. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Who is able to save? Who is able to save? Isaiah 59 and verse 16 says, He saw that there was no man, that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation. Who is able to save? This or that of people currently here. Or this or that of people who have departed and who somehow are looked upon as sources of righteousness. He is able to save unto the uttermost all who come unto God by him. And there is no salvation in any other because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be uh, saved. Whereby we must be uh, saved. Salvation shows the power uh, of God. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. A work accomplished, even though man is exceedingly sinful, dead in sins and trespasses, spiritually blind, and in spite of the presence of a very active enemy, Satan, the enemy of our souls, the power of God is revealed. Uh, is revealed, And this is part of the manifold wisdom of God in salvation, to show his power, to show his justice and his righteousness and holiness. The year 500 B.C., the city of Rome, still a relatively small city, not yet so great and powerful. The city overthrew its kings. I don't know much about them, but that which I know, I believe they were corrupt, not good rulers. And they established a consulship. The one who ruled would be a consul. Perhaps there was more than one consul at the time. Some people agitated to bring back the kings, the kings who had been overthrown and exiled. And there was a man who was a consul of Rome at the time, Lucius Junius Brutus, not the Brutus of Caesar, that's almost 500 years later. Lucius Junius Brutus, consul of Rome in the year 500 before Christ. His two sons conspired with the deposed kings to try to bring them back. This man, Brutus, sentenced his two sons to death, and he watched them being put to death. That doesn't happen in Lebanon. 
And that gives you an idea why Rome became a great power. Of course, there were many other things involved. Why Rome became a great power and for a long time. God's holiness and righteousness is seen in the cross. God's mercy is seen in the cross uh, to an infinite uh, degree. The death of Christ, suffering for our sakes. The Lord Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God's wisdom is seen in salvation, in bringing to us the things that we really need, the things uh, uh, that we uh, really uh, need. You know, right now, people are coming from outside to help this country. And so we have a flow of medicine and, and, and foodstuffs and stuff like that. You know what we really need? <laughs> well, you could express it in various ways, but we need, a, 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 if you'll allow me to say this, a new president, a new prime minister, a new speaker of the house. We need an entire team of governance uh, to replace everybody, uh, and uh, that includes a large number of the citizenry as well who are as equally corrupt. Uh, so other people are, are giving us things that we, uh, that, that, that we need, uh, that we need. But, uh, and doing what they can, but sometimes there is a greater need. Now, what is needed? What is needed? Peace with God. Being justified by faith. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed uh, each other. The Lord brings to us fullness and satisfaction. The things of this world end up eventually, sooner or later, like feeding pigs in the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, uh, it says uh, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It says in this chapter, verse 19, the Bible says, uh, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The fullness which we need. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The salvation of God brings us into fellowship with God. At one point, David allowed Absalom to return, but he said he'll stay there and I'm here and I'm not going to see him. And I'm not going to see him. What we've seen and heard, we declare to you so that we can have fellowship. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Enoch walked with God 300 years. And then the Lord took him. And then the Lord took him. Abraham was called the friend of God. People search for love in this world. They search for it. And many a time they do not find it. And so all sorts of problems develop and all sorts of cheap substitutes become available. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I don't call you servants. I called you f friends in Arabic, loved ones. Loved uh, ones. Behold what manner uh, of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The sons of God. The manifold wisdom of God brings to us confidence regarding uh, uh, what lies ahead. People are fearful uh, regarding uh, the future. We are now the sons of God. It does not yet appear that what we shall be, but we know when he appears that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, uh, as he is. 
the path of the just is like a shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. We are given the greatest riches. We are given the greatest position. We are given the greatest righteousness through this salvation, which comes to us from the manifold wisdom of God. And not only here, and not only for a limited time, but from here to eternity. Angels receive wisdom as they consider this salvation. And they also receive, so to speak, brothers in arms. Uh, they also receive uh, believers who with them love the Lord, follow the Lord, and who will be with them in eternity. Uh, thousands and thousands and ten thousands of ten thousands stand with the angels before the throne saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. Principalities and powers in heavenly places can include evil spirits as well. Satan is defeated. Satan's plans are thwarted. Wicked men took Christ to the cross. And with wicked hands they crucified him. And God used that wickedness to bring the greatest good. Satan is defeated and he himself, by God's working, he himself becomes the instrument of his own defeat. And so Christ is glorious in his triumph. This is the manifold wisdom of God. Unfortunately, many think that they are wiser than God. And so they want to make their own ways of salvation. They think that the cross is foolishness, that the message is plain wrong. The preaching of God to them is foolishness, the Bible says. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to the called Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, Christ the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the world by its own wisdom did not know God. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them who believe. We should not despise the wisdom of God. The Bible says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. The Bible says there is no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. Naaman thought for a time that there was a better way. Thankfully, only for a time. And then he was persuaded to do that which he had heard from Elisha. And so he washed seven times as he was commanded according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. God's message of salvation. The work of Christ upon the cross. His dying for us and his rising again. His coming to begin with and his ascending and entering heaven as a forerunner for us. The manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of 
of God. The Bible tells us that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. We certainly lack. And we lack righteousness and holiness. And all these things are offered to us in the person of Christ. And with this manifold wisdom, with this wonderful work, the Lord is drawing men unto himself. If you hear your, his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. We believe very much in his drawing. But the Bible also says, draw me and we will run after thee. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. And so he speaks. Do we hear and do we respond? To the intent that now, unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a work of salvation, which man would not imagine which angels did not conceive. A work of salvation in which we see in a multitude, in a variety of ways, the wisdom of God. And we pray that you would help us to heed that wisdom hearing of this all-wise salvation from the God of wisdom, how should we respond? We pray that you would speak unto hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would draw men unto yourselves, unto yourself. We pray that as you draw, that they would come, that they would run. We pray that you would be with your children, the believers. Help us to know that your wisdom is above all. That it manifests itself in your salvation, but also in all your dealings with us. That you can be trusted because you are God who is all-wise. Help us to know as well that this message regarding this salvation, which shows the manifold wisdom of God, that this message is a message for us to live and to give, to know and to show. So we pray that your light would shine through the hearts and lives of your children in this dark world and that the people who walk in darkness will see 
a great light. In Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen.